Time Chasers. Hi, this is Mia. Hi, this is Aphomia, and welcome to Consent Chasers, where we look for consent in pop culture. I'm Mia. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film and a consent educator, and I use they, them pronouns. I'm Aphomia. I'm an educator and a content creator based out of Los Angeles, and I use she, her pronouns. All right. So today we're talking about The Bachelor, the 25th season of. Can we just say this is probably, I mean, not that I've seen every single season of The Bachelor, but this one feels particularly juicy. I don't think I've ever seen so many articles about a Bachelor season. Well, so maybe the first thing we can talk about is why that is. Oh, I, I would say that it's because Matt James is black. And we've yeah. never, in 25 seasons, had a black man as a bachelor, which it's sad that we're just, it's sad that it took 2020 for anyone to realize that. Or maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe Bachelor Nation has been screaming for this up until now. But that does not uh, change the fact that Matt James is a beautiful man. And I think also, <laughs> I think also that this is a record amount of women uh, applying for mm. to be on the show. Like they've never had this many women apply to be on the show. Isn't it also like, didn't they have the most women on the show to begin with anyway? And then I don't think they've ever done the like surprise second round of women. I, that I don't we have know to fact check. That we have to fact yeah, check. Yeah. I feel like that's something they may have done already. They may have done that already. They love a surprise. Right. We'll talk about that more too. They love a surprise. Those producers love a good surprise. Yeah, sneaky, sneaky. I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that stood out to me, if we're talking very specifically about the fact that Mac James is a black man, is that initial very awkward conversation between him and Chris Harrison, where you and I were texting, watching that at the same time, and I was asking you – why is he talking to Chris about this? Like, do you trust Chris's judgment? You, Aphomia, do you think that Chris even has like any idea what Matt is talking about? And you, I was watching you text me back and laughed so hard at the face you were making because it was so clear that you do not trust Chris Harrison. Well, I would say I don't think Chris Harrison possesses a perspective that would be helpful for Matt in this scenario. Yeah. While Matt is biracial, right? He, um, he. I would not say Matt is white passing, and therefore has maybe not experienced the privilege of being white passing. And I will also agree that what he's voicing, which is a fear that I think I am not, I am not biracial, so I can't speak from a perspective. But from like narratives I have heard, there is a lot of pressure. Um, to kind of pick a lane and stay in it mm-hmm. sort of thing. And depending on which side you present more as, I feel I've, I've heard that that's an experience that has a lot of, and he's voicing that he's voicing that to an audience that doesn't really understand or know. And Chris is like, well, that's stupid. Like, why would you feel that way? Or you should just let like, <laughs> like, and it's like, okay. Right, like take a, take a, take a load off. You don't have to deal with that pressure. Like actually, in fact, yes, he does. And he's, feeling it so that's not really a helpful response also i don't know that chris has ever been in in an interracial relationship so it might be very difficult for him to speak from his area of of perspective being personally having have being black and having dated interracially i know the pressure i know what you feel 
I know what, and I know Mia, you've had these experiences as well. There's a lot that comes up out of it. So like, it's not something you take lightly. It is, it is something you have to acknowledge and being on a platform like this, where there's never been another black, uh, a black bachelor. And I believe there's a history of discrimination on the bachelor, like racial discrimination, on the bachelor sure. for the contestants as well. Like not just the bachelor themselves or the bachelorette themselves. So I don't, I don't think that Chris is the best person. Absolutely not. And I feel bad. I feel for Matt in that situation. Like, yeah, he's like trying to express what he's going through. But like the only person that he's able to do that to is Chris, who like, I'm just remembering the look on Chris's face of just like (laughs) no recognition whatsoever of like what even it almost seemed like Matt, uh, Chris, like didn't even wasn't even familiar with that phenomena, you know? Yeah. Just had, like, no idea what Matt was talking about. All right. So the first thing we wanted to talk about uh, as we move into the show was Sarah and Sarah's – how Sarah's trauma was coming up and how she fainted and um, what she was dealing with kind of back at home because I think that those all tie in. So I wanted to look at those through kind of a trauma-informed lens. Um. What did what did you think about all of that? I think there's three ways we can look at Sarah. One would be um, what we know of Sarah because of the confessional. So like what we're getting firsthand from Sarah, yeah. what we know from Sarah through Matt's perspective, and what we know of Sarah through the perspective of the other contestants. So right, and then there's also the additional layer of editing. Yes, like right, the editing is its own character on this show. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. I think when you think of it from the perspective of uh through Sarah, we can sympathize with her and I know Mia you have uh, like much a deeper understanding of like trauma and how it manifests in in people and I loved being able to watch it with you because we talked about what was going on. The perceptions of her trauma through the others is yes. she's being manipulative, she's being toxic, she's taking um, up space, taking, taking a, up she's space. attention hog. And then Matt thinking like, oh, she really cares. Oh, she must really love me. And then her being here like, my dad is like, his days are numbered. Like, how can you be on? And then also dealing with jealousy, having gone on that one-on-one. And then coming back and seeing him. We talked about Matt being a thigh grabber. Matt loves to put his hand on a thigh. Uh. And so I'm, or, or just physical touch. And, and and her seeing that, oh, man. Okay, so the first thing that stood out to me about Sarah comes from this book I read called um, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. Um, this book talks about degenerative illness, cancers, um, specifically things like ALS, which is what Sarah's dad has, and how um, there's kind of this personality type that he has seen, that has been documented over and over and over again, um, that that type of person ends up with these kinds of things. And it's typically someone who is lauded by friends and family as selfless, always willing to give up what they're doing for others, um, you know, never says no. Uh, like literally you can read like obituaries of people dying from cancer, ALS and all these other things. Um, and, and you keep hearing about this personality type and what Gabor Mate talks about is how, um, 
being inauthentic and not saying no, essentially having kind of flimsy boundaries, um, actually leads to these illnesses. Like it's not just a correlation. There's actually a causation going on. Um, and what that means to me that I am just obsessed with right now is that authenticity is medicine. Saying no is medicine. Like it is in service of your health to find yourself and be your true self and to be able to say no to people. Um, so it's really interesting to me that Sarah's dad has ALS and she has that classic personality type. She she can she can't be away. She's really struggling to be away. She talks about how like, you know, when they introduce her, she says, "I gave up what I was doing to go be a caretaker to my dad." Um she will only talk about kind of the um the positive side of it. Like, I love doing it. I'm so glad I did it. She's not really talking about like the challenging aspects of it. And then we see her, her nervous system really go into like this kind of hyperactive state where she faints in the rose ceremony. She cannot handle watching Matt have these um, intimate interactions and physical contact with the other women. Her, you know, jealousy just like sends her through the roof, um, you know, to the point where she is like bedridden for three days. So I was watching this really thinking about um, what that what that um, sort of people pleasing, caretaker, self-sacrificing mentality um, does to a person's health. Um, and then watching her faint and have these trauma reactions and watching the other women say that she was taking up too much space, that she was like, you know, hogging Matt's attention, that she was putting on a show, that it was performative, all these things. I was like really feeling for this woman. And at the same time, really having to fight my own kind of um, socially learned, like, uh, you know, my, my brain really wanted to go like, that woman's crazy. Like that's, that's kind of the thought in my head that I'm fighting at this moment in time, like labeling people crazy. It's just, it's just this like easy knee jerk reaction that we have to people. And that's what is happening on the show. Watching that happen on the show really sends my awareness to like a new level because when I'm having those thoughts myself, I'm like, I have learned these thoughts. I have learned these patterns of judging other people. Um, and it's very much reinforced on the show. This, I I 100% agree with you because there is not a single, at this point, watching this show now, there's not a woman on that show that I hate. I can say mm -hmm. like I hate them because mm -hmm. I, I see humanity in each one of them. Also, these are like, even Victoria, who we're going to get to, oh, even with Victoria, like I, it takes a lot for a person to get to that, that point, that state. Uh, but I agree with you. And then also here's the other thing, like the women being upset about how Sarah's acting or the space Sarah's taking up. I'm sorry, did we all sign a contract that we were going to be playing this game fair and that we were going to sit around and wait our turn or like not try to, I, I thought this was a competition. Like I'm confused. Right. Like, why, like you need to be, follow these, like, where are the rules? What rules are there? And why should she care whether you like her or not? Like, is this a sorority too? Like, I'm just confused that there's like, there's all this like, relate. like everybody's talking about the relationship that you're supposed to have with the other girls. Y'all are all fighting for the same guy. Like, what? 
Right, right. And that's very clear. That is literally the – you signed up for that premise. Like that's what you wanted to do. And you've all seen previous seasons of The Bachelor. Like you you know what's coming here. So what you're getting at brings us to this um, phenomenon of doublespeak that's happening on this show. And that brings us to Victoria. It brings us to MJ. But actually I want to mention something. What you were saying that you don't hate any of these women – Afomia, that is like one of the traits in you that I admire the most is your ability to always see the other side with such compassion. And, you know, where I think that we sometimes end up disagreeing on stuff is I'm like, hold it, hold these people accountable. Like you have to be accountable and your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I do really believe that. I know that you believe that too. Um, but what what I am hoping to kind of learn from you a little bit is like that ability to, because I'm always aware of it from like a trauma perspective. Like I understand people don't end up like Victoria in a vacuum. Like there's trauma there. There's abuse there. Like there's, there's so much insecurity there. And I understand that. And I also do feel the feeling of like, you're a trash human <laughs> and that's just like this like blanket judgment that that I make. What what I will say about Victoria is that that initially because of how severe that behavior was, I like many of the fan base was was convinced that Victoria was a plant. Yes, convinced. I was too convinced. Especially because the occupation just said queen. I'm like, oh, so you're an actor. Right. You're just an actor. Yeah. Um. And then, like now, we see that Victoria has her own. We we see that she, we see beauty her so, on social media. She has a beauty line. She has, she runs her own business. She does she does a whole bunch of stuff. Um, she's a, a successful entrepreneur. Good for her. I think we've seen that personality type. We've seen that personality type. Yes. I have met that personality type before in real I life. I have too. I grew up in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> My God. So we know that this exists. Why are we shocked that it's on television? I think she was cast for a very specific reason. They saw these traits and they knew that they could augment it. Now, I I think these producers, the producers on this show, um, either they have a really good understanding of consent and boundaries and therefore know how to manipulate them or they don't have any knowledge and they're just doing... Then so they're just like sitting around stirring the pot. Whatever it is, oh, they're sitting around. They're eating popcorn. Absolutely, they 100%. are eating popcorn and raisinets. I, you mm-hmm. know, that's a really interesting point. And my guess is that it's somewhere. It's like I don't think they have a conscious awareness of consent and boundaries. And I actually would think that, like, I I think that there's a place in reality television not for exactly an intimacy coordinator, but like a consent ethicist, because I think that there is a certain point where it gets like. For example, the Heather thing, like Heather Collins showing up. That I was like, <laughs> I don't find that like unethical. I just find it <laughs> absurd. But then there's like certain things that I think that the producers are probably doing where I'm like, you know, this is like a little bit morally questionable to like shock people this way. Cause you're really, you're potentially traumatizing. Like people are, 
people are leaving the show traumatized. I mean, I'm thinking about like Piper leaving in the last episode at the end of episode seven. Oh man. And you know, and she's leaving going, I, I put myself on the line. I was vulnerable for nothing, for absolutely nothing. I, you know, I got nothing out of this. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, this is obviously there's a, there's a, a pre-existing set of conditions for for Piper that sets her up to leave a situation like this thinking, I got absolutely nothing out of this. Because there's no situation that you can get nothing out of. You know, she learned something. I don't know what it was, but there's got to be something about this experience that she can be grateful for. She's in a... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, yeah, no, I think you're saying... I also just think it's hard to see from, from that age, too. Like... How old is she? She's 23. And yeah. I think she's still growing and maturing. And I'm like, I think with time, you begin to like truly understand how much you learn from it, every experience, like you said, right? We're yeah. coming at it yeah. from like our perspective of like, if I was 23 years old on the show, I don't know, I would not have been my best self, which I, which kind of brings me to MJ, which is who I want to talk about, MJ. Okay. Okay, great. If we want to go into this MJ, because I think... MJ, five, six years from now, would we ha- would handle the situation very differently than- That's a very optimistic, <laughs> hopeful outlook, Aphomia. I think you live and you learn. I've ha- I had some clunky conver- uh, confrontations in my early 20s and in high school and like college and early 20s. I guarantee clunky. you never acted like MJ though. I can't say that I haven't. I can't say that I haven't gone to that place where I'm like defensive, upset. And this is why, Mia, because now I wouldn't do that after having worked doing sessions with you, after hmm. having under, like done deeper work to understand conflict resolution and like uh, working on myself and growing up. This information is not given to us. Even in school, we're not taught how to deal with confrontations. Like if you have a problem on the play yard, as an educator myself, like the amount of time that I spend in social emotional uh, growth for my students now versus what I got growing up, no wonder people can't handle confrontation now. Like I'm very interested to see what this next generation is going to look like with all the social emotional growth and all this stuff. But for MJ specifically, MJ for me is a clear example of not knowing how to behave when you get called out. And and triggered. Yeah. So triggered. So yeah. triggered. You're you're absolutely right. She's not she's not having an awareness of like I am in a heightened state right now. I think I need to take a walk, you know, or like um this defensiveness and finger pointing is because I'm feeling insecure right now. Like she's not having that awareness. And you're you're bringing up a point that's really important, which is about access to information and education around consent and boundaries, around trauma, around all those things. And it's not just, you know, access is a funny thing because because we have Google, because we have YouTube, like all this information is accessible for free very often. But there's something about the dissemination of information in the age of the internet where because of algorithms and how we're being fed stuff, um, how we're being fed media and information, there's not necessarily uh, like I'm, I'm thinking about these like concentric circles that like are not concentric, like overlapping circles that kind of bump up against each other. And sometimes there's an overlap where like I can look at the show and I can look at someone like um, Michelle or Brie. And I can think like, 
I would imagine that there is a world in which we've read some of the same books or like we follow some of the same people on Instagram outside of like, you know, Beyonce and Lady Gaga and whoever, you know, like, like more, more um, like uh, educators or, or self-help people on Instagram. Um, I can also imagine that like I could have conversations with them about, about these things. Whereas like, then I look at someone like Victoria and I'm like, we speak entirely, like we're from different planets. Like, I don't know how I could have a conversation with MJ or Victoria. And so there's something about the way that, that access, even with like the democratization of information in that it's free and quote unquote accessible to everybody, um, that if there's not um, like a seed planted of interest. If there's no exposure, then people are not seeking out that information. And one hundred, what I one hundred agree with you. And I would say that's why it's so important that we're doing this, right? Mm. If we create a, imagine if there was a TV show or like a like a really trendy viral piece of content that dealt with consent and boundaries sure because that's how we that's how we're everyone's learning now right Uh, instagram uh text posts are the new textbooks right right like uh tiktok videos are like um yeah or like are inspiring or like catalysts for new like waves of thought for this next generation so it's like how do we reach like we're not going to see this education happening in the classroom, right? So, right. We, so uh, using using pop culture, using media that's hot right now, using things that people that are trending that people are going to see as a tool for education is like like the way to give people this information. I think I love I love everything about that. I love pop culture. Like pop culture is somehow the information that seeps into my brain and can't get out. Like I can tell you that Kim and Kanye are getting divorced and I can tell you about Britney Spears and I can tell you about Miley Cyrus and I can tell you about Harry Styles way before I can tell you about like certain things about politics. Also like I know that a lot of people in my life um, a lot of my clients, a lot of my students, and a lot of people that I work with are like just sponges for information about astrology. Astrology just poops out of my brain. It just like it just falls out. Whereas information about Justin Bieber and I mean, literally, like I I will stand in the grocery line and like absorb headlines better than I can absorb anything else that I have to read. So there's something about pop pop culture that like that really really sinks into my blood. It's like I just I I thrive on it. It's so it's like candy to me. And if since we already enjoy it, why not use it as a tool for education? Was what totally. I was saying. Yeah, we're going to talk about it anyway. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. So let's talk about what is going on for MJ then. MJ is having. And she's she's feeling suddenly insecure. She's feeling, um, you know, thrown off her footing. This is we're talking specifically about when Jasenia um, mentions her to Matt, and then MJ says all these like, I'm saying scripted, like they sound like scripted lines, but I don't think they're being fed to her by, by producers. I think that they're scripted in the sense that like they're societally scripted. They're things that she thinks she's supposed to say. So she's saying things like, keep my name out of your mouth. 
she's also saying um, she's basically saying every like that we're you know she's saying we're here right now because you said my name to Matt as opposed to because of the thing that I did right Mm -hmm. she's doing a whole lot of like um, just saying what she did and accusing Jesenia of doing exactly the thing that she did yes and have you ever been in a situation <laughs> where you know you're in the wrong and you for some reason cannot get yourself to back down like I have done I know I know this is resonating with somebody somewhere oh yeah where you, you find yourself in that spot and you can't get out of it and you know you know baby and you're scared you're scared of the fact that you've done something wrong but right, you're, you're like, like it I- was I didn't do it. I didn't. It wasn't me. You. Well, you did this. You did this. That's worse. I will spin this whole situation and circumstance around to find a way for me to not be wrong. And this, I I know that. I know that. But then what you find out about that is, is that A, it makes you, it ostracizes you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it makes you, um, it, it, in, it, it disables you from being able to grow. You are, your growth is stunted in that moment completely because you're not evolving you are staying stuck in this way whereas like these situations are put in your life to evolve you in and you know what a great example of that is is anna anna Mm. made that choice anna will never make that choice again right she learned she learned she learned and it's like it's sad that she had to learn that on television Sure. Because the, you are not given the grace that you are to learn. She, you think she's the first person to call somebody uh, to call somebody out their a name or hoe? spread rumors about a girl? No, she didn't call her a hoe. She didn't call oh, her, she MJ her said, escort. Wait, who said hoe? Oh, Victoria called her a Victoria hoe. called her a hoe and she, yeah. did not, she didn't even apologize for it. She was like, I didn't mean any malice. Victoria is foul for that. We'll go and we'll get, we'll no, get to that, her later. But the, uh, but okay, we'll put the, a pin in Victoria. We'll put a pin in Victoria. She's a whole conversation. Yeah. Um. But, but but Anna Anna we saw growth and evolution. We saw Anna yeah. like have that whole that whole the realization when Matt comes out and says, "Hey, I hear this is happening." Anna Hannah's Anna's whole face was like, "It's me. I know it's yeah, me." She I goes in there, I she apologizes, that. owns up to everything, accepts her fate. Even in the yeah. car ride, she's not over here like, how dare they say that? How dare they t- call me out like that? Other people were saying stuff about her too. Other people agree. Right. No. She's focusing on herself. What's that going to do? She's going to grow. She's going to grow. Right. You're right. And even with MJ in the car on the ride home, like this is all because of Jasenia. She's just still blaming, blaming, blaming. So one thing that you're touching on that I think is really interesting, there's two things. One, one is that when you have an ulterior motive, you stop listening. So MJ has an ulterior motive. She needs to stay on the show. You know, Matt is the ulterior motive at all times for everybody. Um, but really her ulterior motive in that moment is to like save face and like not um, seem like a bully. And so everything that she's doing is motivated by that. Meaning she's not actually listening to what Jasenia is saying. She's not asking Jasenia. She's not addressing the impact right? At all. Like she's unable to say, I totally understand how hurtful that was. And I'm sorry. Like none of that would have happened. In fact, she might've been able to stay had she been able to do that. The other thing about this double speak, this like pointing fingers, um, calling, you know, the pot calling the kettle black type of thing is, um, that we see that over and over and over again, 
as a deflection tactic, as a way to not take responsibility. We saw it when Donald Trump said that all Mexicans were rapists and murderers, like because he is a sexual predator. So what he's basically doing is he's like, he's saying, I'm not that, you're that, because he knows that he is that. (laughs) So that's what just, I think that's what, um, MJ and Victoria were doing. Like, I'm not toxic. You're toxic. How dare you call me toxic? I don't like drama. When, like, all you've done is fan the flames of drama. Also, what you said about Victoria saying, um, uh, like, I didn't mean any malice. Like, yes, you did. That is exactly what you meant. That is pretty much exclusively what you meant. And then when she's talking to Matt, and she's, and Matt's like, you know, you called Brittany a, a hoe. And I love that, like, Matt can barely say the word hoe. And Victoria is like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he, the word couldn't even. He didn't even want to like. Yeah, he's like let that word escape uh, his mouth. He's yeah, like, <sighs> yeah. And then Victoria goes, "That was taken out of context." And Matt goes, "Well, let me ask. Like, what context would calling someone a hoe be okay in?" And, and here's. I thought, yeah, usually in the practice of applauding cis men. <laughs> There's not a lot of opp- this is, but this is an opportunity for me to say, yeah, yes, I was Matt. impressed. Yes, yes, thank you. I was impressed there, and what I was particularly impressed by was how calmly and compassionately he said that. Because honestly, Afomia, if it were me, the delivery would have been more like, "Well, then explain to me what context that is okay in." And that tone is like very accusatory. Matt asked her in like the gentlest. Way. Most generous, oh most generous way. Can we? Okay, Matt. Matt emotionally, I feel like the way he's carrying himself this whole show. Like, he if he wanted to do a whole another round of the Bachelor, yeah. he'd have more. He would have people are falling in love with this man because of the way it's he's true. carrying himself, across he's conducting America. himself. No, yeah, across America, I clutch my pearls a couple times watching like this show. Everyone. I'm not gonna lie. I love his sweater shirts, like the sweaters that he wears as shirts. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan of the purple mohair. Wait, we get the, the yellow, we get the, okay, the yellow so, sweater with a blazer. <laughs> we are, oh, 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 yes. Who is styling him? Okay. We stand Matt James on this yeah. show, I think. I think we do. I oh, think yeah. we really his, do. His um, fashion is is the only the only thing that I will say about his fashion that I'm not a huge fan of is his pants are very tight. Like very, I'm very, very, very tight. You're not? I'm not mad at I am not mad at the I love a tight pant myself, so I don't discriminate on others wearing a tight pant. And and it's right. <laughs> it is right and tight. It's right and tight. I'll oh say that. I'm not mad when we see the I'm not even mad when we see the um the little spandex workout situation. I'm not angry. Those about I it. like. Those I like. It's the um, jeans where I'm just like don't you need to move around a little whatever, not my business. Wh- I just while from- we're, while we're on <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. While we're on on the subject of Matt, can we can we talk about like uh, the things that we celebrate with Matt right now? Calling out Victoria was amazing. The choice between MJ, the choice between MJ and Yesenia, so good, so good. It was also great TV too because we we wanted to see them both in a room. Like they did a great job by calling him having the two on one date was a great choice. Having them having. Showing that he didn't just send MJ home without having a conversation, I also think mm-hmm, is great. Mm-hmm. Like, we're seeing him make the decision. He is calm. He is um, 
I, you don't see a lot of first reactions out of him. You see, like, yes, I feel like we don't see the um, the um, initial emotional response. I feel like everything with Matt is internal. He makes a decision on what he's going to do, and then is decisive. And tears are not going to change his mind. Right. He right. has compassion. He does ask, "Can I walk you out?" Like, yeah, yeah. I know. And he always thanks people for sharing with him. And I love this like underlying theme of like he he wants people to be able to tell him no. He wants people to be their authentic selves and to be vulnerable with him. Like he keeps saying that. And you know, that was like that that makes me think of the the tantric yoga with um Serena oh, yes. P where where she she's like this is not for me. And he's like, cool. Thanks for letting me know. That, can I say that that was the first time I, like, I was rewatching that portion last night. That's the most emotion I've seen out of Matt. When she was like, well, what did you think about it? He was like, I like, his eyes got wide. He's like, I really enjoyed it. Like, I, I loved, loved it. I loved that he, the, his favorite part was the, like, extended eye contact. It's like, oh my God. But that makes me nervous that they're not going to be. I don't see. I think Serena thinks that Matt is everything that Serena needs. But I don't know that's like, maybe it's editing as well. Actually, I, if we're going to dive into Serena, let's just dive into Serena. Because the I feel like we talk about the yes to no spectrum a lot in your work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's a lot of consent that goes into these dates. I've been wondering that too. Like, are the producers just saying, is there anything for you that's off limits? Because that's not, that's not how you get consent. The way that you would have to get consent is like, here's a list of dates that we're considering. Which ones of these would you be interested in? And which ones are like hard no's? And which ones would you be like willing to do? So, and I highly doubt that that's happening because this show is like built on surprising people and shock value. If, if you were working on this show, Mia, and the reason why I'm asking you this for yeah. the audience to know as well is because Mia works professionally on shows um, <laughs> as an intimacy coordinator. I know you mentioned that earlier, but like, just want to say you are very qualified to speak on this. Well, let's what- say what that is, though, real quick, because yes, a lot of people yes, don't yes, know. Yes. So an intimacy coordinator is very similar to a stunt coordinator. I'm there to make scenes look real, stay safe, and be replicable. Um, but the content that I'm working with is sex scenes and nudity and eroticism and sensuality and often like BT- BDSM and kink and things like that. So what I do is I help actors f- navigate boundaries and consent. And I make sure that I'm doing my best to get to make it possible for actors to give informed consent by getting clarity on what the director wants to achieve. So from the perspective, well, so, okay. So what was your question? So my question is, what would that, what would consent look like before these days? Like what would, if you were working on these shows when it, and it comes mm-hmm. to the consent of the date, how would yeah. you apply your knowledge or what would you, what would you suggest they do? Well, what I just explained, which is like, instead of being like, is there any, well, first of all, we have no idea what is actually taking place as far as consent goes. So it's like all speculation at this point. But my guess is that they are asking these women, like, is there anything that you absolutely won't do? And that's like what they're calling getting consent. Whereas in order to give informed consent, you would actually have to tell people what you might be planning on doing because someone might just be like, look, I am deathly afraid of heights. I cannot go skydiving. We know from like future scenes that there's going to be a skydiving episode. Um, If that's a no for you, you're not really given the opportunity to, to say that. 
So you asked about the yes to no. So giving giving people the information up front. But that would also the problem with with the way that this show is like constructed from a consent perspective is that it is it is it the show itself relies on shock for drama. They shock people by bringing on a whole new cohort of women. They shock people oh, with Heather Collins. They mm-hmm. shock people with um with all kinds of stuff, with activities and and so on. So it's not um you know having consent built into this show uh would completely alter the foundation of of The Bachelor. So I want to explain the yes to no spectrum a little bit. I don't have a diagram in front of me, but you asked about it so just for anyone listening. Um, there's a lot of talk in in consent circles in in really like obligatory sort of perfunctory like consent training and 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 um, programs and stuff about uh, you know anything other than an enthusiastic yes is a no or no means no and that's just not um, accounting for like the nuance and the range of experiences that we have it's not accounting for uh, what Betty Martin, who's one of the people that I've learned from, um, what Betty Martin calls the difference between wanting and willing. There's things that I might want to do, which means that they're for me. And then there's things that I might not want to do, but I'm absolutely willing to do. And that means that it's for you. It's for the other person. So being able to distinguish between those two things already brings in a whole mess of gray to like no means no or only enthusiastic yes means yes because there's there's a lot of stuff where I might not be jumping up and down saying yes that I want to do it but I might be curious or it seems like a challenge or it's something that I'd like to try I think I might learn something from it that is all on the yes side of maybe but you're not necessarily like a fuck yes on it on the no side you have things like I should do this because I signed up for it. For Serena P, I think it was, um, I should go through with this activity because Matt chose it and I'm on the fucking Bachelor and I'm on national television and I want to be a good sport. On the no side of maybe we also have things like, um, like you have a no and then you start to talk yourself out of it. Like, well, maybe I don't want to, I only don't want to do this because I've taken a yoga class before and I fell, right? Like that would be the backtracking thing. That's not what Serena P is experiencing. She just doesn't want to do this. She doesn't like it. And then, well, and then on the extreme side of no is coercion. So like that, that would, if this were the situation, which it's not, it would sound like if I don't do this, I'll get kicked off the show. And that's not what's happening. So in my experience and like what I'm seeing is that Serena P is just on the should like just on the no side of maybe where she's like this is not for me I'm gonna do it though I'm willing to do it in this set of circumstances does that make sense from my yes and and when I was watching it I got more of a I don't like this I don't like this at all like I think Serena P knew very early on that she did not like this I don't, I, and that didn't want to continue doing it. And as it got closer, like the part that's supposed to be super sweet where they're just looking, looking at each, each other's other. eyes, mm-hmm. that is not her jam. Yeah. And I, and for me, I wanted, I, I was screaming at the screen, like Serena, say something, Right. say no, you are like uncomfortable. And Matt's sitting here living his fantasy. Right. He's having a great time. Like, and, and so like, I think I wanted, I wanted Serena to advocate for herself in that moment and say like, 
actually, this is a boundary that's being crossed. I am not okay with this because it didn't seem like, oh, it didn't seem like an, I'll give it a try. It seemed like, a, no, I didn't this think so either. Here. But maybe that's I, also I just my experience of watching her. No, I completely agree with you. I think that she was in her, in her head, what I was seeing was I really should, like, I kind of, I feel like I should do this. I feel like I have to do this. I do not want to do this. And I feel like I really have to. Um, and you, and I got that from her the most after, like in the aftermath of it, like here's to never doing tantric yoga again. Right. I, or like, I'm sorry, I'm not a professional tan- at tantric yoga or like all these things that all these things that were being said later that sounded like resent to me that I could mm. hear or like resent for so, being. Go ahead. Yeah. So I've heard this amazing quote that resentment is, and I wish I knew who the fuck said it and I'm going to misquote it, but something about how resentment is the like result of you not holding a boundary. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what happened. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I wonder, and the reason I bring it up is because the, I think my response came out of all of the times that I wish I spoke about. Yes. When I was and that's why I loved watching this show with, through this lens because I'm like, oh my gosh, say something, say something. I'm like, girl, how many times have I been on a date like that? Way I have been to on- make it personal. Yes. And maybe that wasn't Serena's experience, but what it did was educate me or make or elicit that response out of me that was gonna that's gonna make it that much stronger or open up a conversation that, so that now other people can have this notion so that when it's happening they can recognize it. That's so interesting that like how because I think what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, is that like seeing someone else go through something that you've been through actually is now helping you or it will help you advocate for yourself moving forward. Yes. Also seeing it through another person's perspectives where I'm not personally invested and therefore trying to backtrack for myself or do all these other things. Like when you're watching it, there's the cathartic experience of it. Like how, how people in like ancient Rome would go see Greek tragedy to feel better about their lives or whatever, or to work things out for themselves. It's, it's that similar kind of feeling of like, I am watching the bachelor, right? One of the most dramatized TV shows that there is out there. Yeah. Um, and learning and actually learning something about myself. People think this is like, tr- like we'll we'll throw the term like trash TV or like right, right. like you know just like garbage uh, like reality TV shows. But yeah, I think this is one of the most powerful junk shows. Yeah, but I feel like this is one of the most powerful educational tools I have for like relationship navigating that I've ever seen. I mean, I'm I am loving like when you had the idea of like looking at The Bachelor through this lens. Something in my body was like. Oh, it was just such an incredible yes. And and watching it through this lens has actually made me enjoy the show so much more because I'm looking at it for these um these sort of like avatars, like these, you know, these people each represent major societal systemic issues and mm-hmm. and also things like attachment theory which we're going to get to and codependency and um you know, like, um, commodification, commodification of time. Like, my God, everyone is talking about how much they just want time. They just need time, which is so interesting to me because it's not even Matt. It's time. And they're, they're consistently, there's this repeating thing going on where people are like, if I could just have time. And I keep looking at these women being like, the reason you're not getting time is because he's not very interested. It's not that if you had more time, he would become interested. Like he's actually already 
telling you that he's not super interested. And that's why you haven't gotten a one-on-one date. We, we saw that very clearly with Jesenia and Katie where they got their one-on-one dates and he was like, yeah, it's confirmed for me that I'm actually not really feeling this connection. And, and then you see the women like, I'm trying to remember who said this, but like someone on the way home in the, in the car was like, I wish I had just had more time. Um, like my biggest regret is not knowing. Oh, Abigail said something about like, I just, if I don't get that one-on-one date, then I, then I won't know. And I, I just don't want to come away with that feeling of wondering what if. And I was like, no, my dear, if you don't get the one-on-one time, you don't need to wonder what if you have your answer. I will say in Abigail's defense, the reason why maybe Abigail might feel this way more than others is that Abigail had that connection on the first night. I know. And, and, and she was the first one Matt kissed, at least the, right. that we saw. That we that saw. We saw yeah. That we saw, right? Yeah. And then also Matt said something really interesting. Because I felt so comfortable with how I thought that was had- total bullshit, by the way. But go ahead, say oh. it. Let's talk about it. Oh, yeah, I did not believe okay. it for a second. But t- yeah, say, shit. So I, the reason why I believed what he said was well, – What did he say? Like, let's, he let's was like, I was so – Oh, he said, I was so I was comfortable – After our first date, I was comfortable with where we were. Or I'm sorry, after that first rose – First impression. And then he also gave her another rose on a group date too. I know, I know. Right? So he's given her – And he told her to trust what they have. He did say those things. Right, these are the things he's like in, in, like being so comfortable. I was so comfortable um, in our relationship, yeah. That it opened me up to exploring other relationships too, to see if I could get that 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 way with other people. So instead of prioritizing Abigail because he felt like, oh, I already have a connection with Abigail, I know I could have a connection with her. Let me try getting these one on one dates with other women to see if I'll have a connection with them. And what happened was is that the one on one dates which we all knew was going to happen. I'm surprised that he was shocked by this. The one-on-one dates dived him deeper into these other women. So because he's like, oh, I already have a, I want to see if I have a, I want to see if I have something with Kit. I want to see if I have something I, with, yeah. and, and so he's like, and, and, and honestly, in doing that, I fell deeper for them and our relationship was stunted. But that, I, I do see what you're saying. That's bullshit because it's like, if you wanted to go on a date with her, you would have gone on a date with her. You would have gone on a date with her. If, and if your connection was that strong, you wouldn't be sending her home right now. And if your connection was that strong, you wouldn't have gone, like, you were unsure about Serena P. So, or I'm sorry, it's Serena P, right? The one he went on the date with? Or is that mm-hmm. Serena C? The tantric yoga was Serena. Tantric P. yoga Serena. Yeah, I'm forgetting surnames. I'm sorry. But um, tantric yoga Serena got two dates. Right. Abigail didn't get a single one. And he was unsure about her. That's why she got a second date. So. Right. I think no, I think it was total bullshit because I think I think that that was like a I'm gonna let you down easy kind of thing because even you could see in Abigail's face where she was like what that doesn't make a lot of sense if you really believed in our connection we would still have that connection and he would be saying to her I don't want you to go you know just be patient like I'll get a I'll I'll have a we'll have a one on one but that's not what he said I thought that was like a weird I just thought that that was dishonest on his part. That very well could be. I also just think that he was like, uh, the way I saw it was that he was like, okay, I have a connection with her. But then because there's so many other girls and he got deeper with them, it's kind of like he forgot about that connection and then didn't care to maintain it. And 
And she was saying something like, what could I have done to make him want to be with me more? Right? Like, I know. That I was think, so tragic to me. I think she's right, though, on that one side. Because it's like, what are those other girls doing to stay on his mind? No, but you don't have to do any. That's not how chemistry works. You know that. That's not Sonia. how chemistry you're works. Being well, you're being no, no, no. brainwashed by the show. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, it's like. What is it? What is it like? Did you did? Were there not enough opportunities for you to like? In a, I'm not saying she should have been bending over backwards or had some weird gimmick because that didn't work for Katie, no. right? Um, and I thought that he and Katie had so much fun on their one on one. Yeah, but I they also struck me that, as friends, like just not romantic, yeah. you know. Jasenia and Matt seem to have a lot of fun on their one on one as well. Like mm-hmm. they're like they're high stakes fun. He saved those fun things. For those two girls, and then didn't end up. It's interesting. The more intimate dates, like just going on the hot air balloon, or not the like yeah. the high speed adrenaline or like pranky date that that's a side to him that he really enjoys. Like he had those with those girls. I think he thought. I think he loved like how vulnerable and how genuine um, Abigail was with him. But all along, I think mm-hmm. he knew that he was never going to pick her. I don't know why. Yeah, he I don't the think that place. they had. I. She was very vulnerable right off the bat. And um, I mean, it's it's tricky, right? Because we also don't know what his like relationship to ableism is. So there's also like that question as far as like what she shared about about her disability. There's that's a whole like separate conversation in terms of like vulnerability. I didn't mean to suggest that she should have been doing doing something. I, I'm going to catch myself in your right. I, see what, not, yeah. I didn't mean to suggest that she should have been doing something. I think it's more of like he's not owning up to the fact that he lost interest in her. Yeah, he just lost interest in her. He just he just didn't feel intense chemistry. He appreciated how she was sharing and and her vulnerability, but they did not have chemistry, and he wouldn't really own up to that. He kind of like made up this weird story. But is yeah. Oh, my question is: Is he like? Is he a glutton for vulnerability in others? Like he loved Sarah's vulnerability. That's really interesting. So, so, okay. I want to say one thing about this idea of like doing more because this show really is designed to make women feel like they're not enough. And the fact of the matter is like, if there's chemistry, you could stand in the corner and never talk to Matt and he would be more interested in you than he would be in someone showing up with a vibrator or like dancing or like stripping in front of him, literally. Like that's what we're seeing with Mm -hmm. Rachel, right? Like Rachel's always hanging back. She's always sort of waiting for him to come to her. She's kind of quiet. um, And so, and she keeps on coming out ahead. So I don't think that, um, you know, we heard that from, I think her name is Chelsea. We've heard it from quite a few women. Like, I just need more time. I just need more time. And the truth is, like, it's not a matter of time. That's just what the show is telling you is currency. Time is money, Mm -hmm. literally, on this show. And that is not actually how love works, which is, like, the manipulation tactic of this show. Um, So, wait, what was the – yeah, go ahead. Oh, wait, 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 though. Wait, though. I do think that it is a manipulation tactic as well. If it's like in the sense that even though we know Sarah wasn't doing those things to make Matt like her, Sarah needing attention made Matt. We can't, we can't deny the like knight in shining armor thing that like women use to on men often to like, like to, to, to women love being needed. But like, I think, I think, or like not to make a generalization, but I, 
And then I say not to make a generalization and then I make a generalization. But to generalize. (laughs) (laughs) Like there is that stereotype that I think holds some truth where it's like, yes, when you're, you are attached to somebody who needs you. If you have this traumatic moment with a person, there is an attachment that can form and it can make you stand out in a group, right? I think yes. that's what the kind of the girls are hinting at. It's like, I should have done something or or to bond and, to trauma bond us. And I also think that that's kind of what MJ was getting at with just saying it's like you're doing this mm. to like gain good favor with him or whatever. Like like any bold acts or things like that. Like, but that didn't save Jasenia either, you know? No. So okay. So everything that you're talking about right now brings us to um attachment theory because yes it the people who play into that savior thing that is a um that is often an avoidant characteristic in attachment theory also um sarah's uh sarah's reaction whether it was a performance or genuine generates a codependent relationship and so does her relationship her caretaker role right like that is what she has the the relationship that she has put herself into with her within her family and so then you see that play out where she then asks matt to become a caretaker to her when she's having a reaction to his behavior which is really just a factor of the show's design that he's going to be interacting with other women so so she's kind of pulling him into this codependent dynamic avoidant attachment style i you know you and i were talking about that with kit and i definitely want to go there but i first want to just touch on i think matt has expressed being avoidant matt himself is in the past in the past that that's why all of his relationships have ended once he's starting to fall in love once he's starting to open up that he runs screaming for the hills um he said, like, oh, didn't he say something like, right as we're getting up to the point where we're, like, going to say I love you or something like that, I end up breaking it off. So that is avoidant. And honestly, <laughs> the the Bachelor itself, like, the whole the whole way that the show is structured, it um, it it enhances the anxi- anxious attachment style that we typically associate with women in relationships. And it also enhances the typically avoidant, the avoidant attachment style that we typically associate with, that we stereotypically associate with men. Like that is what this show does. I feel as though Matt is showing more secure. Yes. Uh, attachment styles on the show. Right now, for what we're seeing, we're seeing a very logical, secure attachment style. I don't see him pushing away anybody he has a deep connection with. Agreed. I I feel like, and then I also feel like, didn't they say that uh, avoidance styles tend to avoid secure? No. No, no, no. Go ahead, sorry. Typically what happens is that people with anxious attachment styles are attracted to people with avoidant attachment styles and vice versa because they both reinforce the narrative that the other one has about themselves. So for anxious people with anxious attachment styles, dating someone avoidant confirms their inner um, belief that they are 
unlovable, that they're going to get dumped, that they are clingy and needy. And for the avoidant person, dating someone who has an anxious attachment style confirms for them that they need to be alone, that they need to be independent and self-sufficient, and that being in a relationship is going to take too much away from them. Yes. And then if an anxious an anxious attachment style finds themselves in a secure attachment with its with a, in a part in a partnership with a secure. Mm-hmm. They can then become secure yes. because they're getting everything they need. Avoidance will not succeed in a um, in a secure relate uh, like that dynamic does never work. Oh really? Say. Yes, like av- avoidant and avoidant doesn't work, and avoidant and secure doesn't tend to work either. What I think may have happened is is that uh, Kit sensed a secure. And this is why I'm saying this is why I'm saying this because what happened is there was that conversation where Kit goes in there saying like just dump me now, which is a right. it, which is an avoidant tactic, right? right? I'm like I'm gonna lay all my cards on the table. This is probably something he doesn't want to hear because I'm 21 and he's 29, right or 28, mm-hmm. however old he is. And so like I know he's gonna he wants to get married soon. These are the things that I, so I'm gonna come in there guns a blazing saying these are the things I will not compromise on. And then he goes okay. And she's giddy in the moment, right? Afterwards, she starts thinking about it. And she's like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to say yes. Right. I would have to marry I don't know if I'm this say guy. Yes. Right. I'd have to. And so it's like seeing how serious he is actually may have elicited an avoidant. Not pro- it's not called protest behavior, is it? Or maybe that is the protest behavior, like the, the reaction. I think so. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, well, wouldn't protest behavior be like, that's when when uh, anxious is doing something to like passive aggressive or as a response to being triggered, as a response yeah, to the yeah. attachment style of being triggered. I would think that was a lot of what was going on with MJ. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. MJ. And then also even Anna. Anna saying all those things about Brittany. Yeah. I think came out of the fact that she, wa- she saw Brittany, who is very beautiful. So is Anna. But they're watching a new person enter walk in Anna has not at this point I think even like had any like sexual or physical contact with Matt like that yeah deep. I don't think so and the first thing Brittany does is make out with him she's like her tongue is down his throat and Anna cannot take it and this is why I think the reason why I brought up attachment theory when we were talking last night about all this is because Anna didn't even recognize herself when she's like, I can't believe I said these things. Right. I don't know why I would do that. that. And me. that's so much of what protest behavior, that was that whole phrase, that wasn't me. I know it doesn't sit yeah. well with you. But I wonder if if you're not aware of your attachment style and you don't you're not aware of you being triggered, it may feel very much like you're not you're an out-of-body experience when Absolutely. you start doing these things. Absolutely. I have done crazy things. I have done crazy things and said crazy things about other women when I feel jealous about a relationship that I'm in. Hmm. Like the claws come out and a monster appears, and then you have to take a step back yeah. and grow from it, right? But okay, I want to. I want to. It, it was really interesting to hear your take on Kit with with the attachment stuff that she was like, "Then I'm going to break up with him before he can break up with me," type of thing. But my take on it was that she was actually realizing that in fact she didn't really feel that strong of a connection with him. That that was my experience of watching that, where I wasn't like. I didn't think that she was trying to bulldoze it first so that he didn't have the opportunity to reject her. I really thought that Kit was like sort of reckoning with the fact that she had gotten swept up into the game 
and sort of convinced herself that she was falling for this person and re- and begun and and as it was getting more and more real getting down to the line because it was starting to look like she might get a hometown visit i know that it's not hometowns with covid like the the families are coming to them but as it was getting more real to her she was like i actually am not i am not falling for this person and i think i need to go i am not certain about you and like i actually believed that aspect of what she was saying I, I would say that, yes, she's not certain, but the fact that she's not sure she wants to even see it out maybe comes from that avoidant place of, of being like, I don't know if I want to see what's going to happen with this person or really fully, like, I don't know if this person is my future, but then regretting it in the car being like, I don't know if I made the, the biggest mistake of my life. Like, what is that? Like, not seeing something out? Like, I think I felt that felt non-committal to me, like not wanting to commit to something to see it out. Cause I mean, like, even if you commit to an engagement, you can always break that engagement off. Right. Like it's like that tiptoeing right. kind of a thing. It's like not being fully sure, not sure enough of being like, I'm, I'm definitely, I think Kit is definitely interested in Matt. I think Kit may not be ready to consider okay. contemplate marriage. Right. Like she obviously likes him and some, maybe not in love with him. That's, that's a whole nother category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was not seeing that uh, like real chemistry between them. I was seeing a lot of superficial, like, oh, we have these things in common type of thing. I I think what struck me was that I've never let my guard down so much. For me, it's like, oh, why wouldn't you want to see that out? If you're saying this person is able to get this to the side to you that you've never, that you didn't even know you had. I felt like that was why she had, if, if that was the case, that was why she had the um, maybe the avoidant response of wanting to like, okay, right. run away. And run away. it coupled with the fact that maybe I'm not that into him. Right. But what is the, what is it that was able in this scenario that was able to get for me to get? Well, I mean, that, down? that question is like, did she get really into the show, like into the competition? Mm-hmm. And so she was like, he's asking me to be vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable. And then catching herself. Cause I have had this experience where like, I, I used to be um, very um, like flippant with my intimacy and vulnerability because it feels good. It feels good to like let down your guard and be vulnerable with people. And I had this one experience that really kind of like got it through my head that I couldn't do that anymore because I was like with someone and we, um, we hit the ground running and like two weeks later, I was like, wait, I barely know you. Like I have been so vulnerable and so intimate with you. You're sleeping over, we're having sex, we're cuddling, we're talking about so many intense things and I barely know you. And I was just not that into them. I just wasn't. It, I We had enough superficially in common. Like this is actually reminding me of the kit situation. We had a lot that mm. superficially in common. Like we had sort of a community in common. We were like both part of the queer community we both worked in tv and stuff and also sort of felt like outsiders in the tv world and stuff like that this was a a non-binary person and so we like had all that stuff in common and so we had these sort of things to connect on but really it was clear to me right off the bat that we didn't have like deep romantic chemistry. And so then in the end, I had this like sort of squicky feeling of like, I gave way too much to this thing that just doesn't really didn't deserve that of me. 
So I'm seeing that reflect. And and again, maybe I'm projecting here, but like, that's kind of what I'm seeing with Kit is that she went deep because she was told that she was supposed to, and she was like trying to play the game. And then she realized this is actually very real and I'm just not that into it. That was how I was taking it. I 100%. You know what? The funny thing is, is that like, because it's a TV show, we can literally, we we get to project yeah. our, on them, right? It's like, when you say that, Mia, I see it 100% from your perspective. And then when I watched it, I saw it from that, from the perspective that I was sitting in. Also, having been in relationships where I am the mat in the situation where I feel more secure about something and seeing someone else, I've dated a lot of avoidant. So I felt like that's why I was mm-hmm. projecting that onto Kit. Maybe I've even felt that way before. Maybe I've even felt in that in that position before. It's so interesting how we can use them as a yeah, canvas so kind of to, to work through our own. Right. Now, I we do have uh, the huge elephant that is um, Rachel, Hannah Brown. Um, Chris Harrison. Talking about yeah. Chris Harrison. We're talking about the, I, this is not necessarily from a perspective of consent. And well, it's about apologizing. So- it's about apologizing oh, and accountability. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. It's about apologizing. Restorative justice. What yeah. does restorative justice necessarily look like? This is a, a, I know a lot of people are tiptoeing around this conversation. Yeah, um, I know. This is a, this is a tough one too, because there's the added element of like the rumors that Chris defended Rachel so hard because she was the one who was chosen in the end. So like that sort of secret element is is why I feel like this is this is a tricky thing to talk about. Even if even if even if Rachel is the one who's married to or engaged to Matt right now. Even if Matt is defending Rachel right now. The it is the manner in which it is the phrasing and white supremacy that Chris possesses that lend itself that lended it well that it, we got that in response out of him right like we got the response of like well fifty million other people did it too or how, what did he say something crazy like so yeah. many like so many people attended parties like that in two thousand eighteen and all of the like woke police these terms that are we're talking about MJ right like and like people getting right. upset about being called out it's like. When you're coming to the defense, this this type of response at this time is just terrible. I don't think that they he prepared also says, Chris. No, I they don't, didn't prepare Chris, but they couldn't have known how to prepare Chris. No, what I'm saying is that Chris was not prepared to have a Black Bachelor. There's a very big reason why there wasn't a Black Bachelor up until now. The show wasn't ready. Right. I, you see this in companies and, and institutions all over the place where they promote, we need diversity. We need diversity. Then the diversity happens and no one is able to handle it <laughs> because we, we're not, we don't see examples of what like anti-racism looks like. We don't know what anti-racism looks like on television. We don't know what anti-racism no. looks like in like accessible work environments. So well, uh, at Columbia University, out, this is happening with Erica Hart right now. This is happening at Columbia. What's happening at Columbia? I'm not familiar with this. Erica, there's some, I'm not totally aware of like the original thing or series of things but now the like erica has been calling out racism at columbia as a professor there they hired her to be an adjunct and there then the the dean melissa Begg, i believe 
did not take it well. She's a white woman. And then like emailed the faculty without Erica saying like, we're going to have a meeting about this and um, just a whole lot of fragility and, and a lot of support pouring in for Erica. Um, but it's, it is that classic thing. And, and this is, I think a lot of what Erica is talking about is that this like optical diversity thing where it's like, we need to hire a black person. And then the foundation is not actually set up to do that in a healthy and and positive way. And it is not the job of the BIPOC that you have hired nope. to bring everybody up to speed on how to treat. I am not the ambassador of Black. There have been so many scenarios in which I've been hired to be the ambassador of Black in something. And it is a frustrating role to be in. It's like, not only do I have to under know everything from your perspective because your perspective is normalized. I'm saying your perspective as in like speaking to a white majority in any in any profession I've been in. But then I also have to to know how to how to advocate for myself in a way that doesn't make you feel threatened. You as in the general sense of white people that I white professionals I've worked with. So it's a it is a it is a tough spot to be in. Now when we bring up the Chris's initial response is a great example of what not to do. That is <laughs> a wonderful example of what you don't do whenever mm -hmm. someone... Also, Chris, why do you feel qualified to defend Rachel? When right. Rachel makes a statement saying that what I did was wrong, and then you look at Rachel's statement and the comment section, I mean, people being like, oh, she What did you oh, think of her in. apology? It felt scripted, but if it's even at the end of the day, it's like, even if it was... At least we're at a point now where people are doing these types of apologies instead of like the eliciting yeah, I was greater division by saying I, I what I was impressed by was that she was like, I was ignorant, but it's no one's job to educate me. My ignorance was my responsibility and it was racist. I will tell you a year from now, this type of apology would have been unheard of. A year ago. Right? Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. Absolutely. A year ago, unheard of. I guess it's the point now where it's like, okay, like what type of restorative justice does it take for me to feel good about something? And I guess maybe it's like, maybe I won't ever feel good about something. But the one thing I do want to see is action steps. If any good can come out of this, maybe it's okay. Maybe Hannah Brown and Rachel, Kirk Connell and other, other, even Chris can become examples, can become teachers. So that black people aren't and other BIPOC aren't having to do the job of educating anymore because it's exhausting, right? I would love to see white people take on that role, especially if you're if you are dedicated to changing and doing this work. Like I want to see this ongoing path for you. Yes, why don't you be then now be take your mistake and use it for good, but don't make right? money like, off of it. <laughs> don't make money off of it. Maybe don't make money. Off, yeah, don't make. They're gonna make money regardless, right? Like you don't have to use this education as a platform to make money off of it. I'm not gonna tell anybody how to do it. If white people want to pay other white people to teach them how to not be racist, like that's that's on them. Like I don't really necessarily. I mean, I'm not. I'm also not saying that I speak for all black people when I feel that way. I'm just saying I don't want to be the one who has to make sure that these this work is happening. If if they can handle right. that as like restorative justice for themselves, great. I'm glad Rachel feels like what she did was wrong because it was. I'm glad that she's calling herself right. out because she should. Like, it's like, are you going to pat somebody on the back for making their bed? They shouldn't have, she shouldn't have done it in the first place. 
But if you if you did do it and you are learning right. from it, like, and then and then also like you know being one a of product- the well, one of the things that that Chris said in that interview was he was like, you know, this was like five years ago, which first of all it was three years ago, and and he was like, were people looking at stuff through that the lens that we are now, and like yes, Chris, black people were, you were not. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys just realized that this shit was racism. Like, and and like we've been knowing. We've been saying it's like, oh well, black people didn't say anything about it before. It's like, no, you were. weren't listening. Right. You weren't listening before. You didn't have to listen before. You saw a whole bunch of riots happen this summer and now you're scared. Yeah. You you realized how many people are actually upset about this, and then you're like, oh wait, this is the majority. Right. Now, oh wait, this is a large portion of of, of like, oh wait. Like Trump's America didn't really feel like they had to care about these things anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not so much that. Hopefully, we're moving towards. I've never before seen public figures, white public figures, take a stance like this. Now, here's my other thing: if if Matt James wasn't black, yeah, would Rachel have released released this statement? Let me tell you, being a black woman and dating white men in my life, having been in white relationships with white cis men. There is a point in the relationship where the confessions start coming out. Oh. Oh. I see your face. Oh, that makes me your face. so... Oh. <laughs> what is it about proximity or intimate relationships with Black people that make you question the way you were raised, all the things you've believed? Like, and then also this weird feeling for me being like, why do I have to be like a, like a, a martyr in this situation where like every time I date someone outside of my community then like once they have this attachment to me then they start doing all this all this like internal introspection it's like sometimes that for me is not uh, that is not a great place for me to sit in on one hand it's like I don't know how I feel about it entirely sometimes it's sometimes it's really tough I mean on one hand I'm like yes good great one less like like somebody who's now awake like that's one more person in this world who's awake like oh like has awakened to this thing that doesn't necessarily affect them unless they have relationships with black people right they feel like it doesn't affect them and then i'm like oh has this been perpetuated because of how segregated we are as a society still like is this why like the lack of meaningful relationships that white people Uh, have with with people of color even if they have relationships with them they're surface level right? right and they're not like deeper because or even like transactional are transactional yes are trans yeah so it's like when you have particularly a romantic relationship where they start being invested. It's so funny how until you have, there's a black person in your life that you care about, police brutality doesn't seem that scary to you until you realize, Oh, I might lose my partner to this. Right. Or, or you see, like you see the fear in your partner about something that's happening or the pain in your partner about something that's happening. All of a sudden your chest is all puffed out and you're like, we have to protest. We have to do this. Like you wouldn't, why is it that you don't have those feelings up until then? Yeah, it's that empathy gap. It's that empathy gap that we see so, I mean, I I don't want to say this as though I don't experience it. I have had the experience of like having someone in my life with an identity different from mine and suddenly issues that affect them most closely become a lot more personal to me. That, that is, that's a, and it's always a shock. I'm always like, how, how have I not cared so much about this? You know, 
Um, we we also see it like in a in in politics with people like like remember when Dick Cheney was all against gay marriage and then his daughter came out and he was like yeah they can get married remember that yeah or like you know like <laughs> yeah we've seen that with so many like Republican um people in in Congress who um who like have these you know really hard lines until someone close to them is of the identity that they've been trying so hard to police. And suddenly they're like, oh, now I understand. It's a terrible, a terrible human trait. We don't, we're not taught to think of anything outside of the perspective that we feel comfortable in. And then also we are taught to avoid any narrative that makes us the villain because we don't know how to handle whenever, we don't know how to take accountability. As a society, we don't teach accountability in a way that's healthy. Right. No. We if don't. you were just looking to our last president as a as a guide for how to be accountable for things, when have we once seen the last president take accountability for anything? I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen a president take accountability for anything in general, but no, we've seen. We? Yeah. I mean, didn't Bill Clinton eventually like apologize for Ooh. the Monica Lewinsky scandal? I feel like that's tough because I feel like the whole nation was brain brainwashed. Yeah, I mean it was all slut shaming and all like total ignorance of power dynamics and consent. It was like that it, that it, charisma was out of control. Bill right. Bill experiences like Bill Clinton has so much charisma. Like a society would like in the same way that Trump's supporters just kind of like whatever he does and we're fine with it. Like mm-hmm. I think I don't know. Have you read Have you read um, the Art of Seduction by no. Robert Greene? It's like there there are these certain figures that tend to have these this like he's he's what they call I think the the charismatic and it's like you're not you don't you don't judge logically when it comes to these characters, right? So, People always say that about I him think, that like he made everyone feel like they were the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. You know they you hear a, that about they him. say that about JFK too. That get that yes that one. yes ab- yes they absolutely do. So we're talking about apologizing we're talking about taking accountability i'm just i just want to like tie this thread because the the thing when you're talking about donald trump and the way that like i'm just thinking about even the voter fraud stuff like he is crying voter fraud he's screaming that the the election is rigged when we know for a fact that he himself tried to rig the election he was defunding the usps he was trying to sabotage voting and and Russia and all these other things. And so it's it's the same thing that we're then seeing on this show from from MJ, from Victoria, from from a lot of these women saying, like, I'm not doing it, you're doing it. And Trump is doing the exact same thing. And so when you're talking about like us not having good models for accountability, you know, we're literally seeing this on national television. We're seeing it from our president, who is held up on this pedestal as like the moral compass of the nation, even when it is someone like Donald Trump. And and when we're having this modeled for us, it's really refreshing to see something, you know, with all its shortcomings and given like the, the situation just to begin with. But like, it's really refreshing to see an apology like that from Rachel. And even the way that Chris took the backlash from what he said, and he was like, I should not have spoken on that. And I am not going to mm-hmm. do the mm-hmm. the final After the Rose episode. So it, it seems like we're now moving into a place where there is this kind of accountability being 
taken with grace and with compassion and a recognition of like, I fucked up. And that seems to me like the way that we can um, combat cancel culture in a in a way, as opposed to having people say like, well, then fuck you. Goodbye forever. We're really starting to see people apologize in a way that actually addresses the impact of what they've done and then allows them to kind of continue living because what I what I can't stand and this is what Chris was actually speaking about even though he did it in a way that was really shitty was that we are seeing people get um, you know it, it, getting quote-unquote canceled whether or not you believe that that's a real thing like um, you know held to a tone or whatever by asking them to essentially give up their entire lives, livelihood, families, friends, to lose absolutely everything. And that is not transformative. That is not restorative. Anyway, that's my little rant. I, I, Mia, I agree with you. And I think it's that right now we're in a phase where we're in the rage, the rage section, right? Right. The, the anger, right? And now we don't, we're not even thinking about what the aftermath is. It's like, we're like, you will be punished. We have a society yes. now that just wants to punish. And, and. I believe that to the people you have hurt, you have to accept that no matter what apology you give, you may always be that person to them. No matter how much you've grown, you may always be that person who has caused them that pain and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with that. You, no one owes you their forgiveness. What you can do is... is be a voice so that other people don't have to make that same mistake over and over again. Don't focus necessarily on like, like you can apologize. I'm not saying don't apologize. I'm not saying don't read, like don't apologize for the things that you've done. But I think expecting forgiveness, a blanket forgiveness from everyone that no one will ever hold you um, to that. Even if you've grown from it, like people are still going to hold you to that because you have caused trauma. You have hurt people with your actions. And when you have a big platform, such as The Bachelor, right? You have to, with great power comes great responsibility. You're going to own up to the fact that you are going to have this impact on people and it's going to be larger than others, right? That is the choice that you made whenever you whenever you decided to be, to take on this show, to be to be famous. So it's like this platform, you have to be careful. And it also is your job, if you're in the public eye, to educate yourself. It is your job to make sure that you're not putting like worse things out into the environment or into the, into the universe, whether or not that decision was Chris, Chris's himself, or he was forced to step aside like that. I don't know, but regardless, whoever made that decision, I think it was for the right. If Chris is actually taking this time to work on himself and to understand uh, the impact that a white supremacist society has had on him and uses this as a tool to be better than what a great example. What a great example then for others out there. Because I think white men on television, a lot of white men on television feel the exact same way he did. Mm-hmm. A lot of white men with platforms feel the exact same way he did. So if he, if he can, if he can then now become an example for others, maybe this could be up and it, it can affect positive change. I might be being incredibly optimistic in this scenario. But again, like, <laughs> What other choice do I have but to be optimistic? Like, I want yeah. to be. I want to be. I want to hope for a better world for this next generation. I want to hope for, for the rest of my life to see something better. We already are seeing a lot better. 
I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways, we, do we have room to grow? Do we have places to be like, to like to grow? Yes. 100%. But I, I agree with you. I do think this is a step in the right direction. Well, on that note, I think this is the end of our first episode. Um, (laughs) If you want to support the show, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash consent chasers. We're going to figure out merch and what kind of special things come with the Patreon. Um, But we would really appreciate any support. And that includes writing a review, subscribing, sharing the show everywhere, uh, anywhere that you are listening. Also, we'd love to hear from you as far as what you would like us to cover next. This is, uh, for us, this is what we do anyway, right? (laughs) Mia and I, uh, they have been such a huge impact on my life. And we have been watching like shows and talking about different forms of media all the time through the lens of uh, boundaries and consent, it is a thrill for us to do. So if there's something you're diving to hear, dying to hear about, um, let us know. We'll cover it. And, yeah, and you- we'll definitely cover the re- – at this point, we're just at what what happened last episode, we're at episode seven. seven. So we'll probably touch back again when the season's over. I would love to – For sure. And we're definitely going to do Miley Cyrus – uh, lyrics, Ooh. not her herself. Um, oh, and so if there's anything that you want us to cover, you can email consentchasers at gmail.com. Yes, we'd love to. We'd love to hear this. Um, if you have any insight on any, like if you're working on The Bachelor hmm. and would like to talk about the show. Anonymously, um, yeah. Anonymously. Oh, we, we love an anonymous moment. Oh, that would be um, great. That'd be fantastic. Stay tuned for the next one. Bye. Bye.